Welcome back to the Show Me Show podcast for episode number 57. 57. Uh, on today's show, uh, interesting show here. We have um, the our little Final Four recap for everybody um, that took place last weekend into Monday, um, as well as uh, a new segment. Uh, we'll preview that today as well. And we are also welcoming back on to the show baseball extraordinaire Jacob Michael Baldwin. I think this is his third time on the show third or fourth second third or fourth time on the show to talk cardinals baseball mlb baseball um what's going on around the league some thoughts on the new rules you know all that kind of stuff um so we'll get to that in a little bit after we get through the beginning and the front end of the show and i think to close it out i think we're gonna have some segments as well so um yeah that's uh episode 57 and uh, we're just going to jump right on into it. So uh, Final Four took place. We had um, on Saturday the first game at 5.09 was Florida Atlantic and San Diego State um, in Houston. And it turned out to be a real barn burner. Um, and the big thing to take away from yeah. this was the shot, a new the shot. Um San Diego State hits a game-winning buzzer beater when they were actually losing, which apparently has never happened in the Final Four, um, to go on to beat Florida Atlantic and punch their ticket to the national title on Monday night. And FAU... Interesting uh, Interesting fact about that shot is that San Diego State was losing the entirety of the second half. They didn't have a second-half lead until that shot went through. So that's just kind of funny, I thought anyway. Yeah, I mean, they were trailing the whole time. I mean, um, I think San Diego State was down. I think the most it got to was 13 or 14 at one point. Um, Something like that, yeah. But they literally did that in like three or four games during this tournament where they were down by – quite a bit, and just roared right back. In fact, they did it against UConn, too, but then just UConn went back on another run, and that was the end of it. Um, but, yeah, San Diego yeah, they State got up too. hit a shot that we'll probably won't forget because, like we said, um, it's never happened before. I, You know, uh, you tend to forget – shots in games like those though when it's FAU and San Diego State no offense to those schools um I'm actually very happy that those teams made the final four I thought that was a very interesting final four and very interesting tournament awesome tournament actually oh, I thought it was awesome yeah this was I definitely enjoyed this tournament a lot in comparison to some from the past so um maybe that's because I got to watch a little bit more of the games this year um, but, uh, yeah, great tournament. And, uh, obviously Miami played UConn, um, and this game, Luke really just set the, the, the groundwork, the blueprint, if you will, for the championship game, because this Miami UConn game was actually the same exact game that was played on Monday night, uh, between UConn and San Diego, <laughs> yeah. because, uh, Miami, you know, it was kind of back and forth at the beginning. Then UConn pulled away a little bit. And then it was always just Miami uh, 
fighting tooth and nail to try and get back in it. And they would, whenever they would pull into it within like 10 or eight, then UConn would come right back with five or seven of their own. And I think the closest it ever got was like seven or six points in the second half. And then UConn once again, just opened it up. Hawkins hitting some really clutch shots um, throughout this tournament, especially in the national championship game. And, um, yeah, UConn put on a clinic and finished that game against Miami. And then they did the same exact thing to San Diego State. San Diego State got it down to five in the second half, you know, 60 or 65 to 60. And then once again, UConn just went on another run, and then boom, it was over. Um and that's just what they did all yeah, year. Shout out to, shout, shout out to the Aztecs though for keeping that game close because UConn had been dominating every single opponent and it, it wasn't it didn't really feel close at any point in the game. I mean, when they did go on that run, it was a little bit like, oh, you know, maybe they could come back because that's exactly what San Diego State had done for like the last four games was just get down by a bunch and then come back and it's like, oh, they might do it again here. But UConn closed that door. Um, it was actually the largest margin of victory ever by a champion. Like UConn was st- statistically the most dominant tournament team ever in this championship or in this tournament, which was a little bit disappointing because uh, y- you know you want to you want the close aspect and you know the exhilarating aspect of the tournament. And after what an incredible basketball season this was, what an incredible tournament it was, I was a little disappointed in the championship, just basically because the game went exactly how I thought it was going to go. Uh, you know, a little close at the at, at the first half, and then UConn just kind of runs away with it, and that's exactly what happened, which was a little disappointing, you know, to be able to predict stuff like that. But regardless, it was a great, you know, a great season. And one of my favorite parts of this is that the stat holds true. Uh, the stat that we talked about in the bracket episode where the last, like, 20 champions have top 20 offense, top 20 defense, 80% free throw shooting. And there are only a handful of teams that fell into that this year. Three of the one seeds, Alabama, Houston, and Kansas. And then some other teams, UCLA, Creighton, and then UConn, of course, fell into that category as well. So, you know, they just continue on <laughs> with that stat. So next year, when you're predicting a, a uh, tournament champion, just make sure to keep that in mind because it is going to happen again and again and again and again. It's inevitable. So. But it was cool to see a team like San Diego State in the championship. I will, I will say that. Yeah, and uh, another thing is this kind of just submits UConn as a team of the 21st century, pretty much. You know, I mean, um, five titles in yeah. 24 years, um, and they're. I think this that actually impresses me quite a bit. Um, every time they've made it to the title, they've won. They're five and zero, oh, so. They don't waste any opportunities really when they get there. Yeah. I think they did lose a Final Four appearance one time. I think so. Think I think they're yeah. five and, and the, one and trips to the Final Four. They're ten and one. Okay. Whenever they make it to the Final Four, they are ten and one all time. That's yeah. insane. That's pretty amazing. to be that dominant at that late in the tournament. So, um, yeah, so. and to be honest, they really were one of the best teams all year round. Um, I mean, there was a stretch obviously where they were literally were the best team. And then they just had like a little fluky week and a half in January. And then they kind of fell off the pedestal 
and that didn't really matter to them. They just kept playing ball, and once they got uh, through the Big East tournament and uh, into the you know the real bracket, they just took care of everybody like they did all year long. I mean, they beat every non-Big East opponent by 10 or more, so um, pretty crazy season, honestly, for Dan Hurley. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I just want to apologize to Dan Hurley because on the last the last show, I've never been a fan of Dan Hurley, and I was like, I, I really just don't like this guy. But seeing him at the end of the game, like they're 13 points up with a minute and a half left in the game, and he's still coaching his players up, you know, making sure they don't blow the lead. I thought that was awesome to not celebrate quite too early. Now, granted, whenever they got it to about 30 seconds left and they were up by almost 15, he started celebrating a little bit, which – you know, they have to, they pretty much have it in the bag at that point. But even during the trophy presentation, just seeing him, like, he was giddy with his team. He had, like, the backwards hat on. He was jumping up and down, just smiling. Just seeing him just, you know, show true excitement and just enjoyment out of it and not really trying to keep his poise that much, you know, just letting the moment take over. I, that was really cool, and I liked that. So I, I might have to change my opinion on, on Sir Dan Hurley, but – I'm not officially stating it yet, but I might have to. Yeah, I I don't have any beef with him. Uh, little with his brother, he's a big dookie, but um, yeah, he's at hey, ASU he's Arizona now. State too. He's so. at ASU now, so yeah. it doesn't really we both hurt have me for them. Um, <laughs> also, just shout out to Sonogo, you know, for once again this oh, most man. outstanding player in the tournament, um, and literally did it during Ramadan. So that's pretty amazing. Yes. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was just a great college basketball season as a as a fan for us uh, at least too. It's mostly with Mizzou. Obviously, Arizona lost to Princeton. That sucked, and uh, North Carolina yeah. didn't even make it. So, um, embrace debate. What's worse, losing to a 15 seed or not making the tournament after being the preseason number one? So. Uh, <laughs> I think North Carolina. Uh, there are always we already discussed that. We, we already, yeah, I know. Yeah. And I think the to kind of just seal that combo is UNC's is way worse. I think after further thinking about it, yeah, because I there's agree. always going to be, you know, future two seeds getting taken down by 15. UNC is the only team to ever be preseason ranked number one and not make the tournament. Um, so, yeah, but it's not even. I, I grade this this college basketball season an A plus. Um, just simply, it doesn't even really have that much to do with my favorite teams. Now, Mizzou did make it really good, but just overall, just watching the games, some teams battle it out early on. I remember that one like random Saturday in December where there were like ten ranked matchups, like ranked first ranked teams. That was pretty awesome. Um, and then the tournament, just to cap it all off, was was awesome as well. So, A plus. Yeah, I. I'll be honest, I'll definitely say it. You know, Mizzou helped make this season really fun for me, um, at least, because I haven't been mm-hmm. able to feel that way about Mizzou basketball, it feels like, in a long time. Even when Conzo uh, had MPJ and Jonte and stuff, it just it didn't feel as fun as this. So um, shout out to Dennis. He's our boy. We love Dennis. Um, probably a little bit already too much. Already work in the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean – Portal combat. Um, maybe trying to 
yeah. trying to steal maybe one of UNC's former top. Oh, guards. yeah. This has actually so. been a, a question that's been asked to me by multiple, multiple people. Um, and it's, how do I feel about Caleb Love if he commits and plays for Mizzou? And I'm going to stick by just with my two simple answers that I've given to everybody on this question is, to be honest, part one of this is uh, – no, I actually do not want to watch Caleb Love play basketball anymore, any more than I have to. Um, I watched him for three years at UNC, and uh, to be honest, I'm I'm done. I don't if I don't have to watch him anymore, I'm definitely fine with it. And then part two of this conversation is Dennis can fix anybody. So if Caleb Love does decide that he wants to go to Como um, and play for the Tigers next year, I'm not totally against it because I think Dennis can fix anything. So, um, yeah, that's just how I feel about it. Pretty neutral. Lots of people clamoring yeah, for him. He's, yeah, he's a he would be a big-name player, which Mizzou hasn't had since Michael Porter Jr. So, that'd be really cool to see. All right, you want to get, jump into some uh, baseball. Yeah. Baseball is back. The first week is, is through. All right. So what we, we've we decided to do, we're giving it a go. Uh, we're testing the waters, seeing if this is uh, going to be a successful segment or not. But it's the Cardinals corner. And it's going to be basically every episode we'll dedicate five, ten minutes to just strictly what happened uh, to the Cardinals throughout the week. Um, we have written up. If you guys remember the rundown that we did during NFL season at the beginning of every episode, it's similar to that, but for the Cardinals games this week. So we'll start off the Cardinals corner with that, and then we'll talk a little bit um, about some headlines, stuff that happened this week, um, some overreactions that some people commented on the Cardinals corner on the Twitter, and then we'll get into the interview with Jacob Baldwin. So Mike. Uh, I guess I, I can start off the uh, – the rundown a little bit. What did you say, Cam? Michael Baldwin, that is. Okay, yeah, it's true. I just shortened it a little bit. Um, all right, let's get into it. So, for the inaugural Cardinals Corner, we will start with an old tradition in St. Louis with baseball opening day. The nerves were cranked up to full throttle as the 2023 season started off with a bang. As every Cardinals player, including the formal greats, were ushered onto the field in vehicles to a warm welcome from the Bush Stadium crowd. We got our first surprise of the year before the first pitch was even thrown. As legend Adam Wainwright used one of his many, many talents and sang the national anthem. As the game got underway, we get a taste of 2023 Cardinals baseball as the Blue Jays put up a few hits early. But that Cardinals offense was able to battle back, going back and forth the entirety of the game, and blue pit after blue pit, the Cardinals dropped game one to the Blue Jays 10-9. to As Michaelis gave up five runs in just three and a third innings. But that doesn't mean there weren't positives. As Brendan Donovan went three for six with a dinger, O'Neal homered, extending his opening day home run streak to four consecutive opening days. And Cardinals young phenom Jordan Walker got his first career hit. As every starter in the lineup got at least one hit. However, Contreras was drilled by Jordan's fastball and had to leave the game, um, which was a negative. Yeah, and we talked about that last week too. So, 
But after an yeah. off day, both teams were set for a 1 p.m. game two as Jack Flaherty towed the rubber in this one and threw five no-hit innings. But that doesn't tell the whole story as he walked seven and hit two. The offense got it going in the third, though, taking advantage of a throwing error and a Nolan Gorman RB, two-RBI single. Jordan Hicks gave us a scare in the eighth inning, losing his command once again. But Jordan Walker picked up his second career ribby to get the run back in the bottom of the frame, and Ryan Mark Helsley closed the door, and the Cardinals get their first win on the year 4-1 to one and set up a rubber match for Sunday afternoon. And Jordan Montgomery, Jordan Montgomery got the start for this one. Cardinals offense got going immediately as Brendan Donovan and Alec Burleson went back-to-back to lead off the game and were shortly followed by a Nolan Gorman two-run bomb to go up 4-0 after the first inning. Montgomery hit a bump in the second inning as Toronto got a few hits and a few runs to battle back, but the St. Louis offense made sure they couldn't complete the full comeback, adding three more runs in the third inning capped by yet another Gorman home run. Cardinals had such a big lead, they were able to save their bullpen by throwing out Chris Stratton and Packy Naughton to combine for the final four innings and lock down the season win over Team Canada, 9-4, to four, sending St. Louis home happy and ready to take on the Braves in series number two. On to series numero dos, where in fact the Cardinals were not ready to take on the Braves. And the starting pitching went MIA against the ATL. The depth of the Braves lineup was on display early on as the three A's, Austin, Acuna, and Albies, took Jake the Snake Woodford deep to get out to an early, demoralizing 6-1 to lead after two. Jordan Skywalker swung the lightsaber to get another ribby, and in the bottom of the fifth, Tyler Broneal sent a ball high and deep to potentially tie the game, but Harris used the force to bring it into his glove on the track to keep it a three-run game. Hicks struggled yet again, and the Braves held on to win 8-4 to four despite a late Goldie homer called by Ron Milheiser, sending the cards back to 500 on the year. And unfortunately for... Our eyeballs, Game 2 wasn't much different as the Braves' offense wiped their feet on the mats as Steven laid down in front of the open door as it was like he was throwing batting practice early on. Get that guy an L screen. (laughs) The story of this one was the Illinois native Dylan Dott making his Major League debut, uh, SEMO player, by the way, and doing so by dominating one of the top offenses in baseball. Cardinals rallied in the 7th but ended... With a later, we find out it's a later controversial play, as O'Neal was thrown out at the plate by Acuna, and that stifled any chance the Cardinals had at a win. Gallegos made his first appearance of the year with the scoreless inning, but the Cardinals dropped game two, and eventually the series 4-1, to one, despite all 10 batters getting exactly one hit in this one for the Birds. A little bit of a fun stat there. And finally, we round out the first homestand of the year with a Wednesday afternoon game with Michaelis looking to bounce back after a rough, rough opening day and help the Cardinals avoid the sweep. But that was everything but the case, as the Braves already had a three-run lead before St. Louis even stepped in the batter box. 
but the sweep was only the secondary story of the day, as in the seventh inning, young Jordan Skywalker hit a drive deep to left field for his first ever career home run, and he added another ribby in the ninth. But it was too little too late as the Braves complete the sweep of the Cardinals 5-2. to two. And that is how the first week of Cardinal baseball has gone. Yeah, it, it was uh, not a pleasant way to end the week, to say the least. Um, really, on any level, the only positive that you can really come out of this series with is that Jordan Walker looked fantastic, and uh, it, it is the Braves. Like, it's not like we just got dominated by a team like the Reds. You know, it, it's the Braves. They're a very good team. They're one of the top three World Series favorites this year. So, I mean, you can take it as you will. It wasn't... A, pretty sight at all we'll get into it more with uh with our guests here in a few minutes but probably the biggest storyline of the week other than the stuff that happened on opening day that we already talked about the tyler o'neill situation um very very tough crazy scene. <laughs> yes major tough scene um so on that play that we talked about in the rundown he did get thrown out Many people were questioning whether he was running as hard as he could. Um, I, I question it a little bit. I am going to defend him. I'm going to say that I think he was running as hard as he could. Now, there was a moment where he looked out to right field, which slowed him down, which he shouldn't have done. You know, you're taught from a young age to, whenever you're running the bases, to not look at you know the outfielder because it slows you down, and that's exactly what happened. But as far as like giving max effort, I'm not going to go as far to say he wasn't giving max effort um he wasn't doing all the things right that he should have but should he his effort have been questioned in front you know publicly probably not but at the same time this is this is the exact opposite of what mike schilt gave us you remember how we used to always complain about mike schilt just you know our guys are fighting tooth and nail you know always giving the same cliche answer at the media ollie is completely honest with the media. You know, he he thought that O'Neill didn't give his max effort on that run. He's going to say it. So that is something I appreciate about him. Could it have been done a, dif a different manner? Uh, certainly. It, it probably didn't need to be, you know, broadcasted throughout the media, but here we are. And then the next day he was out of the lineup. He was benched. So there's certainly some tension going on there. And that's not good whenever you get swept to have that type of tension by any means. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if we just started the season, this is already, you know, happening. It just, it didn't feel like a good omen for the rest of the season. I'm not saying that this is going to lead to all kinds of other stuff here, but I'll be honest, Luke, I, the way he kind of presented it to the media, his response, I feel like it should have been handled in house. I agree with O'Neill. I think this is something that you kind of just talk to your player about. I say, you know, you can say that you played like, you know, like shit, you know, shout out Kelvin Sampson. Um, but, you know, do it as a, you know, in a team manner, you know, don't throw. And yeah, you know, it's the majors. You can throw a single guy under the bus every once in a while, especially when it comes to like pitching and stuff like that. But, you know, um, an effort. I feel like, you know, as a, a second year coach and stuff like that, um, and you know, maybe doesn't have all the right and respect to kind of just throw 
O'Neal under the bus like that right away as we just begun begun the season. I feel like it's something that they could have hashed out themselves, um, and especially because now look at look at what it's done, Luke. If we're talking about it, you yeah. know, everybody's talking about it. So it just brings all this negative attention to the clubhouse that we don't really need at the start of the season, especially when, you know, we get swept in that series by a, a league opponent. So um, that's just my take on it. I just think, you know, it could have been handled a little bit better. And I agree with you. I'm fine with him, uh, like you just said, like telling us how it is, um, because I agree the cliches and um, – covering up everybody's tracks it gets old after a little while sometimes you need to tell it how it is but not like this not especially not right now uh, um with a guy that truly cares o'neill doesn't he's not like uh some guy that doesn't care so uh i just think it was it was a little disrespectful to o'neill i take o'neill's side on it a little bit and i'm not hating on ollie i just i wish he would have handled it a little bit better so yeah and it wasn't like a blatantly obvious situation, like where maybe he popped up the ball and then he just dogged it to first. And then, you know, that would be like a blatantly obvious effort play. Um, this was, he was running very fast. Was it full speed? We'll never know. Um, you know, your whatever side you take is what you believe. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, and- that's what, that's what, frustrates me the most is that it wasn't blatantly obvious yeah it wasn't like uh exactly it wasn't blatantly obvious and he doesn't have exactly the street cred especially if it's not blatantly obvious to throw his guy under the bus like that i'll say it i think he it looks mm-hmm. like he almost slowed up a little bit and i think you're right i think it's because he looked uh to right um and i also think that might be on the coaches for sending him you know when acuna is throwing home so that's you know little both sides there but i do think he did slow up so that's also my take on it is he did slow up so um that is on o'neill but that doesn't mean that the situation can be handled the way that it was um especially right now at the point of the season that the cardinals are in so interesting to see what jake has to say about that here in a few moments so. Yeah, for sure. And also, that was just a, a dime by Acuna. I mean, oh, yeah. perfect line drive, one hopper right in the catcher's mitt. He barely had to move it to tag him. It was it was a textbook perfect throw from the outfield. And it wasn't like it was shallow or anything. I mean, he was in mid-outfield when he threw that. So, uh, yeah, very, very uh, good throw. And then as far as the Cardinals corner thoughts, uh, our good friend Evan Femmer commented, and he says, a little bit of an overreaction, but Cardinals won't make the playoffs due to starting pitching. That is something that we saw, especially in the series against the Braves, is that the starting pitching is really, really bad. And we'll certainly get into that with uh, with Jake. But, yeah, I mean, just early reactions. It is the Braves. They have a very good offense, but starting pitching has to be better. I mean, we have to be able to go into the bottom of the first inning with at least a, ch- a chance to take the lead. I mean, all three games this series – we entered the bottom of the first. Before we even stepped in the batter's box, we were losing. That's something that can't happen. Starting pitching has to be better. Um, hopefully we'll get that this weekend against the Brewers. We got the jack attack going tomorrow night, um, which by the time this episode releases, that Friday game will already be over. So we'll see how that goes. And then Montgomery, hopefully he pitched well in his first start. So hopefully we'll be able to see a little bit better starting pitching going forward but yes i mean to 
there there is an issue of starting pitching that every fan knew going into this season and at the trade deadline if we're any if we're competing at all expect mo to go to work on the deadline because we need we need a really good starting pitcher yeah um two things uh first off just shout out to evan for uh the comment here and i Honestly, you said it was a little bit of an overstatement about what he said, or uh, what'd you call it? Overreaction. And I honestly don't know if that's that much of an overreaction because he just said that we we're not making the playoffs based on our starting pitching. And look, I got to be honest, through one week, um, you know, one full cycle through here of the rotation, um, it's pretty glaring. Now, this just happens in baseball, but it is the beginning of the season. So, like, you know, if this happens during the midway point of the season, you're like, oh, that's just baseball. But this is the beginning of the season. Perfect time for overreactions like this. Um, and <laughs> so it's, I, I, I kind of agree with them a little bit, and which sucks because we have such a talented offense right now, especially right now. The bats are cracking uh, for sure. So, um I hope that they can find a way uh, to pick it up in, in the rotation, that is. And going back to what you just mentioned a moment ago, it is not good when you're praying for Mo to cook at the deadline and it's April 6th. <laughs> so <laughs> that yeah. is another thing. That so, I just want to point that out there, <laughs> that it's not a good sign that we're already praying for Mo to cook April 6th. Um, we've got a long ways to go. Mm -hmm. so. So, yeah. Well, one thing to monitor, we have a lot of outfield depth. Um, and we did uh, – the reports are coming out right now that we did try trading O'Neal to the Marlins in the offseason. And the Marlins have a lot of starting pitching. It, it They have an abundance of it. So, with this tension going on with O'Neal, it is something to monitor that maybe those talks will heat back up, um, which personally – I don't think there's too many Marlins starters that are better than what we have, other than obviously Sandy. He's miles better than anything we have right now. But um, some of the other guys, I don't know if they're like ace material. So it's it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But uh, yeah, let's get to our interview with Mr. Jacob Michael Baldwin. Complete MLB preview, complete Cardinals preview. We'll break it all down a little bit late. Um, you know, obviously we were a week into the season, but still a very good uh, interview. So uh, we'll see you guys at the end of the show to wrap up some stuff. All right. And we have him, the man, Jacob Micah Baldwin, the baseball extraordinaire on the show today. Um, thanks for so coming on, first back. of all. It's Welcome back. too long Thir since I've been on the show. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Third appearance. I think it was the playoffs last year, the last time we had you on. Um, Cam is holding his mic because he forgot the clip to, you know, attach it to the table. But, Jake, we have the MLB preview on today, so we're going to talk everything MLB. Um, now, this is a week into the MLB season, so it's a little late, but you – did. Did you ha yeah, like I have did. your standings like, and predictions before the season started? Yeah, I don't okay. want to overreact a weekend of the season, but I, I have made some slight tweaks since I made my predictions. Since I, not <laughs> these are the official ones since I'm coming on the show, so we can look back at the end of the year. Okay. 
All right. Um, I thought about doing that myself, but then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to – I'm just trusting the process when I had at the beginning of the year. So uh, do you want to start off with MLB or Cardinals preview specific? Division by division. All right. So me and Cam did something similar to this last year where we just like did the standings and all that, but it's kind of nice to have, you know, another baseball guy on the show, you know, to add a third prediction here. Um, so yeah, who do you got in the playoffs this year, Mr. Baldwin? And maybe why do you have them? And some surprises, right, maybe teams that you left out or put in? East. I think the Rays take this division easy. Uh, they're just one of those teams that no one really ever picks them to win the division at the end of the year, but they, at the beginning of the year, they always make the playoffs and they win the division too. They've mixed that in a couple times. Um, at the beginning, like the very beginning, like before even spring training, it was Yankees, but I just, they got hit hard with injuries in spring training with both Montas and Rodon. And when I look around at their lineup, they have judge and that's about all I see. So I got the Rays winning that one easily, and Blue Jays getting a, one of the wild card spots. I don't, I don't think the Yankees make the playoffs at all. I don't, I don't think. They're... No. So no Yankees Orioles, and no think, Orioles in the playoffs. Right. All right. Orioles, I think. Well, I also have the Rays taking that. Um, I I didn't like the Yankees, especially. You know, they they did really good last year, but they were carried by an easy schedule at the beginning. Um. And the Orioles just aren't there yet, so it's like Blue Jays or Rays. But then who do you trust more, the team that's done it or the team that hasn't? That, to me, was the Rays. And I, my hot take is I have the Yankees missing the playoffs as well. Wow. I also have the Blue Jays missing the playoffs. Wow. So um, they, I didn't especially like it, especially the Cardinals mm-hmm. played them on opening day, so I was able to see their lineup. And I was like, no, nah, their lineup is really deep. And I, the reason I didn't put them in the playoffs is their rotation just seemed to have a lot of holes. It really doesn't, though. I don't know what I was thinking. I know. I just completely forgot about that, I guess. But And one's, like, yeah. extraordinarily fat and, and continues to get, to get fatter. As well. So, yeah. Like, as he gets fatter, he gets better. Alejandro Kirk. Also, <laughs> I've seen him. Also, really good. Yeah, it's like a nice so, connection. You know what they've been telling us about yeah. getting in shape in athletics is fake. Yeah, that's always. It's like at least in baseball, anyway. It's like uh, you know, back in Greece, like a long time ago, when they were ruling the world, it was it was seen yeah. as like kingly to be fat, Blue and they're putting that on display. So, and they kind of are. Thus far, at least. Yeah, so, have an AL East shout out to them. Shout out to fat people. Wow. Oh, I have the Rays as well. I actually have the Rays. Um, I have them in my final four, if you will. So, so that's where I'm at with the Rays. I've got just a shoot here. I've got Rays, Astros, and then on the other side, Braves and Dodgers. So, I, I figured we would just go like that's where I'm at. Nice. That's that's totally one thing. He really, Cam doesn't do division picks. He just does the playoffs. I I think so. last year I just did the World Series. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I got another hop. Yeah, right hop right hop right into it. Pretty easily. Uh, but I still have the Guardians getting a wild card spot as well. I really like the Guardians roster. 
but I also really like the Twins for some reason. I just feel like last year they had kind of a down year, and I think they bounced back a little bit, and they got Correa back, and they added a couple underrated pieces. So I got the Twins winning that one with the Guardians getting a wild card spot. Okay, um, I have the Guardians winning this one. I I love the Guardians roster. I think their pitching is awesome. They're they're young. They're exciting. Um, they got a good manager. But then I also have the White Sox getting a wild card spot, coming in second. So the Whites, you're talking about down years last year with the Twins. White Sox, people were picking them in the World Series oh, last had... year, and they didn't even make the playoffs. So I think they'll bounce back fine. Um, they got a solid that rotation. Some people be you. I can't remember. No, yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. I got, I got every. <laughs> that's true. I I had every single playoff prediction right last year, except for the White Sox, and I had them winning the World Series. So, uh, <laughs> talk, yeah, they they screwed me over to say the least. But I'm I'm picking them. I have them getting the sixth seed, which. Me and you both have it, but two AL Central teams in the playoffs just doesn't feel right at all. Every year in the AL Central, (laughs) someone that is, like, semi-good does, like, awful. Like, last year, the White Sox and Twins both did awful. And, like, years where the Indian... Guardians? Guardians. Not the (laughs) I-words. Every once in a while, when they're, like, picked to be the top dog in that division they kind of slip up. Like last year, everyone was picking the White Sox and then it ended up being Guardians, but I feel like that division always just flip-flops. Have there been, I mean, I know they've been back to the playoffs, but have they really been contenders since LeBron left? That's a great point. I don't think they have. I don't really think they have. I don't know what the correlation is there, but I'm just going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to research it any further. I'm just going to say they haven't been good since LeBron left. So, um, I have a question for you, Jake. Is this athletics team one of the worst baseball teams that we've seen in recent years? Or where does it kind of fall on the Jake Baldwin totem pole of the recent teams over the last few years of just absolutely horrible teams? It's kind of hard because, like, when you look, I think that the reason the athletics get so much slack for being awful is because, and Luke will know this, not too many years ago, they were a really good team. Like, they had all those guys that they traded away. I mean, they played the Rays in the wild card game. Like, they had Olsen, they had Murphy, they had those pitchers. I'm blanking on some names that they've traded away. Montas. I mean, they had some guys. Matt Chapman. I mean, Matt Chapman. That's the reason that they get so much slack. Like, I don't think they're the worst team that we've seen in like, I don't think they're significantly worse than some teams we've seen in recent history. But are they definitely the worst this year? I wouldn't say definitely. I wouldn't say definitely. De- no, okay. I think that there's other teams that are I awful. I think that there's other teams. Like the Nationals like the, don't like really Nationals. have anyone. Yeah. Uh, uh, Royals. Royals. The Rockies, <laughs> I don't think anyone ever mentions. Yeah. The Rockies, they're kind of an awful franchise. They are. They're just so good at home, though. In general, like they're not good. I know, but like the last few years, just they've had like a very similar roster where it's just awful, but they still like have a winning record at home. They just know how to play a course. Or no, or not, they're getting fifth and fourth in the division every year. That's awful. I mean, they're not good. The Reds aren't good. Pirates aren't great. They might be better than they were last year. 
I I don't think the Athletics are like undoubtedly the worst team. Yeah. They're just openly tanking. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> they want to move. It's like yeah. the movie Major League where the owner just wants to move it out. Go on to the AL West. Yeah. Yeah. AL West. Pretty self explanatory division, I think. And but... the Angels get my sixth seed. I think no. No Mariners? Okay, that that it kind of leads into a question that I was also going to ask you. Can they do – they have two guys, obviously, that everybody knows, Shohei and Trout. Who's somebody else that later on in the season will be like, okay, this guy's really making an impact here for the Angels, and do they have enough to really get over the hump this year? You just said that you have them in the offs, but do they really have – what it takes to kind of get over that hump this year. And what is the hump, actually, for the Angels? Because they have had no playoff success. I just, when I look at their offseason, I, I think that the difference between this year and years past is I think they actually addressed a couple holes and said sometimes it seems like with the Rendon deal or something, you can even go back further when they added, like, pool holes. I feel like they just try to do one big move and then they just, like, call it good. Like, they're just trying to do so many superstars, and it's not working out. And this offseason, they didn't really make a big move, but they added Tyler Anderson, who was an all-star last year. They added Hunter Renfro. Uh, They added Gio Urshela to put in the infield. Uh, I think Rendon bounces back if he's not punching fans. Uh, I mean, he can't get any worse than what his last couple years have, but I think in terms of offseason, they actually addressed holes instead of just giving out like a blank check to a player. But in terms of getting over the hump, I think that's just the big question mark in general. Like, I can't sit here and significantly say, like, yeah, they're probably going to get over the hump. It's just the Angels. Like, they never seem like they can. And every year there's always guys that are like, I think this is Angels' year, and it never is. But me too. I was one of those guys for a long time. (laughs) It has to be the Angels' year. Otani's a free agent after the end of the year. And I don't think if they miss the playoffs, they have a shot to get him. Not against the Dodgers, not against the Mets, teams that have made the playoffs recently. I think this has to be the Angels' year if they want Otani back. Yeah, It's like their, their last chance to make a good impression on him, basically. And there's some people that are even predicting them being traded mid-season, which obviously they would have to be way out of the playoffs, I think, for that to happen, um, if they're even just kind of there. Another thing with this division, yeah. the uh, the Rangers. They had a great first week, but they're still, you know, that, that logo hasn't really done things for us lately. So why should we be in on the Rangers? Well, Maybe. Kind of like out. the Angels. I mean, they had a sharp offseason. They... Their biggest need has been pitching, and they added DeGrom, obviously. Can he stay healthy? That'll be the biggest question mark. They added Nathan Eovaldi. I think they added one more starter. I can't even think of his name. They added Andrew Heaney. I mean, not great, but it's another arm. Not in the offseason. I think they added John Gray, too. Or was that last year? I don't think a lot of people remember that. But the year before, they also added Seager and Simeon. So, I mean, I think they have a couple pieces. Nate Lowe's really good to it first. So, I mean, there's a lot to buy into, but also there's a lot that makes you say, like, kind of like the Angels. Like, you kind of just say, like, eh, they're the Rangers. 
But also, like, they have the leader in Bruce Bochy. That's kind of like when the Broncos, they're like, oh, it's the Broncos, but they hired Sean Payton. Like, they hired an elite winning coach before. So how does that impact the team? I will say one thing about Bruce Bochy is that, and we've seen this in a lot of sports recently, and the best example is Tony LaRussa. I don't think people realize how quickly the game changes. Like, Bochy's been out of the league for three or four years now. Could that play into a part that he hasn't seen all these major rule changes and he doesn't know? Like, he obviously he knows, but how does that affect his managing is going to be a big question mark, too, I think. Yeah, for sure. So, in the in the playoffs, what are the seedings that you have? And then who do you have in the championship series and ultimately representing the AL in the World Series? The two seed will be the Rays. The three seed will be the Twins. Four seed will be Guardians. And then the fifth seed I have is the Blue Jays, and the sixth seed I have as the Angels. But I'm ultimately going to go with the Astros in the World Series for the third year in a row because they're just a juggernaut. Who, who are they beating in the ALCS? Okay. I had them win the No love for the Rays. <laughs> Yeah, and going to the ALCS, so. Um, my AL, I, I'm trying to remember here what I had. I had the Rays getting the one seed. Astros getting the two. Guard Dogs getting the three. Um, and then my four, five, six was the Mariners getting the four. Five was the Orioles. I I wasn't confident in that at all, but I was like, you know what? Let's just, let's do it. Why not? Yeah, they're good enough to do it. Um, and then I have the White Sox getting the sixth spot. And then I don't have the Astros going to the World Series. I have the Mariners beating them in the ALCS. That would be awesome. So I, I, I didn't love that, but. Yeah, why is that? It'd just be almost like a sophomore slump kind of feel to them. Like last year was their like breakout rookie season almost. Like they kind of, like everyone was like, okay, the Astros, not Astros, the Mariners are legit. But I just feel a little bit of a tail off, and I didn't think they had that great of an off season. I mean, a lot of guys—they're rolling out with a lot of the same guys, and I think a couple of them are due for like a bounce back year because they're still really young too. You think of Julio Rodriguez and a couple of guys they have—they're really young, so consistency might be a problem right now. Okay, that makes sense. I I just really love their pitching staff. I am. I'm so in on the Luis Castillo Cy Young train this year. So, um, yeah, let's move on to the NL. Cam, you said you have the Astros and the Rays. Is that what it was? Well, that would be AL. Okay, yeah, that I'm just, like, recapping that, yeah, for the NL. Okay, yeah, and NL I had Braves and Dodgers. And then um, I, I wanted to pick the Cardinals preseason, but that was – before a full week of rotation play. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I don't really know. But I had – I just don't know where to go. I think maybe the, the Brewers probably is who I would lean towards right now. Um, I think the Cubs are going to be pesky this year. Um, I think it's just going to be a rampant division. I think the Pirates are having a weird start that I wasn't expecting. Um, I think they just swept they the Sox. The did they just sweep the Sox in Boston? I was a little shocked by that. Not that the 
Red Sox are world beaters, but it's the Pirates. I just wasn't expecting uh, at the beginning of the season them to kind of have their shit together when you look at teams like the Cardinals who clearly didn't have their shit together to start the season. I was a little shocked that they did that. Um, So, yeah, uh, one question I I did have for Jake, and we kind of just brushed over it, um, and we talked a lot about the Rays here a moment ago. So this is back to the AL for a second. Uh, AL East, the Yankees. So we're, we talked about their pitching rotation, and it's banged up. And you said that you – I don't know if it's because it's so banged up or, like, because you said they just don't have that many names anymore at other key positions to push past this these pitching woes at the start of the season. Why are these pitching woes going to linger so long – into the season why is are they not going to have enough to get back into the race i think it's just for me is the length of these pitching injuries like as we see with the cardinals pitching can only get you so far when you have a dominant offense and i would say that the cardinals even have a better lineup than the yankees so i think with the big injuries to montas and rodan they're saying both of them couldn't be back till june or july i mean you're already three or four months into the season without your two or three best pitchers and I just, yeah. Who? Not to mention Severino either. Right His now, problems. Is he, or is he hurt too? That's what I was getting ready to say. Nah, he's gonna get hurt or, at some point, but. So I just don't know if they have what it takes with the rotation. Now, if those guys bounce back, come back from injuries, and they're great, then I think they have a chance. But like I said with the lineup earlier, they're still rolling out with Donaldson at third, who was awful last year. They're still giving IKF meaningful games who was also not good last year. The outfield, I mean, is Judge. Are Stanton and Bader going to carry? I know, but he'll come back. Well, Bader's not even playing right now, so. But, I mean, they have Oswaldo Cabrera playing in the outfield right now, but he's a rookie. Volpe's a rookie. I mean, they have good potential, but can you count on him as a rookie? No, definitely not. I I know exactly what you're talking about, too. I think people are high on the Yankees because they've been good the last few seasons, and they're just – there's a lot of holes that if if you look past the silver lining and judge and some of, like, the the top names, you'll see this team is not really – it's not as complete as a team like the Rays where they're just consistently always good. So the Yankees don't make the playoffs – and cash is Boone's ass gone? I think they'll both be gone. I think Boone. I think even if they don't make a playoff deep playoff run, one of them will be gone. Because I mean, Boone's gotten them to the playoffs, but they just get so close and they can't get the job done to get even get into the World Series. It hasn't happened since two thousand nine. And that they don't allow that in New York, not in that franchise. But and he's been there since the nineties. I I'm yeah, yeah. I I'm in shock that he's still there. Like there's they've had so many opportunities to fire him, but don't. So, do you think the the whole Astros cheating? Because a lot of Yankees fans, obviously, you know. They they hate the Astros because they feel like they took a ring from them, and that Yankees team was awesome. But do you think that's given them a little bit more of a leash? Was the fact that that whole cheating scandal took place to where they're like, well, 
you guys maybe could have won it that year. We had this whole cheating scandal with the Astros. I'll say no um, because I don't think the Astros. No, we, I could go into a whole episode about this. The Astros were definitely not the only team doing this. I think that every almost more than half of the league was doing what the Astros were doing. Maybe not to the extent that the Astros are doing it, but Betts has came out and said that the, he's done it with both the Red Sox and the Dodgers. Joey Votto came out and said that the Astros weren't the only team that did it. There's just been multiple players in the league that have said the Astros weren't the only team that d- did it. And I think that's why they didn't get – they just got a slap on the wrist is because so many teams did it. And I think there's been a lot of accusations about the Yankees doing it. So, I mean, I don't think the internal people around the game, I think they know who did it and who didn't. So, I think there's only so much leeway you can give into that. So, then what's the only thing that saves (laughs) Stella's going rampant over here? What's the only thing that saves Boone and Cashman? Is it literally to get to the World Series? But because, I mean, like we just talked about, their whole roster, at least the pitching rotation, right? Not their whole roster. Their rotation is really depleted right now. I mean, how can you, as a GM or a, a coach, I mean, you can't do anything about guys getting injured, really. I mean, that's not entirely all their faults. Maybe some, you know, strength, conditioning, whatever. But that's not entirely their fault. So what, where do they have to get to to save their job? Or is it just too? Is it just time for maybe change? No matter what, I think it is time for change. I mean, Cashman's been there forever, and like I said earlier, it's been 2009 since they got the World Series. I think they got to do something different. But also a little bit with the injuries. I don't know if either of you know this, Luke might, but they came out recently and said that when the Yankees traded for Montas last year, they knew he was hurt, and they just pitched him into the. As soon as they got him, they just pitched him. And the whole team, the whole medical, Montas, the whole staff knew he was hurt. And they knew that they were trading for a hurt player. Like, why would you do that? I don't know. Like, I could see why you traded for Montas. He's good. But why would you get him right into throwing? Or maybe not shut him down this offseason and then start to slowly get him back into pitching? I think a little bit of that could be on Cashman and Boone. But as you said earlier, like, what could save the Yankees, I think, is ALCS would probably be the, like, bare minimum. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up because that that thing with Montas, I mean, they could have almost been doing that to kind True. of save their asses a little bit is throwing them, throwing them to the wolves, kind of push, pushing them out there before he's ready. Um, obviously, we've seen that before with Mizzou. And pushing Connor Bazelak and uh, Brady Cook out there when he literally has one arm and it's his non-throwing arm. So um, that is, I didn't know that about Montas. So, um, but also that's interesting that you bring that up. One thing is that it's from the New York media, and we know how like New York likes to blow thing out of things out of proportion, and they way overreact, overly negative, maybe just like sore or something. That could be the case. But, and I think that also plays into Cashman and Boone being on the hot seat is just it being New York. Like when you look at team success, like they consistently make the playoffs. Like if it's any other market, you're like, oh, those guys have safe jobs. Kind of like Moselock. Like he just has a job for life probably because he consistently gets the Cardinals into the playoffs. 
But it being New York and it being the Yankees, I think it's there's a little bit of a hot seat, no matter what. Yeah, but even like the Cardinals, I mean, let's look at all the coaches here. I mean, Matheny, Schilt, they all got to the playoffs multiple times, and they're they're gone. I mean, it's kind of the same, not exactly the same here. I'm just saying that both franchises have gotten, the managers have gotten their teams to the playoffs, and we've looked, kicked some guys to the curb a couple of times, and that's interesting that they haven't moved on, and it is New York. So thing to add on to that is that, Maybe both of these teams need to realize that it's a front office thing and not a managerial thing. If you're going on your second or third manager and you're getting the same results, but you're still on your same GM, maybe, I mean, you don't want to waste another manager if you're just, your GM's going to put the same product on the field. So maybe it's not as much boon as we think it is Cashman, maybe. Yeah. Exactly. So, all right, let's get to the NL here because I know you got to leave soon, Jake. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll, yeah, we'll we'll go fast. Um, Cardinals, let's get some Cardinals in here. Do you have them winning the division? And what is the one thing that could right, potentially well, stop the them from winning the division? The pitching is what's going to stop them from making the playoffs, uh, obviously, as we've seen through week one. But also, if you're deep Cardinal fans like me and Luke, we could have told you six months ago the reason that the Cardinals wouldn't make the playoffs is because they're pitching. I mean, literally the only transaction that the Cardinals made besides Taylor Motter, the only guy on the big league roster, I think, that is new is Contreras. Like, they didn't add a single pitcher. I just, that doesn't even wrap my mind completely how you don't add at least one guy. But we have six pitchers, according to Jose Locke. So if they're not good, they're not good. And if they can't stay healthy, and I mean, you're throwing out some guy who's 50 almost, can barely hit 80. Do you think they did that because, or didn't do that go by that? I mean, go get more pitching in the offseason because they made a couple moves, you know, at, at the deadline last year to acquire pitching like Montgomery and stuff? Or do you think? they just felt fine with that kind of situation or is it just that mosaic like, always kind of feels a little content like with the pitching situation with what happens like they're always just like oh well we made the playoffs like we won the division we don't have to do too much we'll just add Contreras which was a great move I think adding Contreras but I mean, I could have told you that we still need more I still don't even put us close to the Braves or the Dodgers or the Padres I mean, when you compare us to the NL Central, yeah, we'll win, I think we'll win the division, even with the slow start. I think the offense is too good not to. In a division like this, I think it's kind of the opposite of the Yankees. With the Yankees, no, with the Yankees, no pitching is that they're just in the juggernaut of the AL East, and the Cardinals are in the Mickey Mouse NL Central. And I'm still a little weary on the Cubs, but they I thought they had a good offseason. But I'm still a little weary because they still have a lot of holes. Uh, the Brewers don't scare me at all. I mean, they have a great staff, but kind of like the Cubs, they have a lot of holes, and their lineup just doesn't even come close to the Cardinals. I kind of wish the Cardinals had the Brewers starting rotation, then I'd sleep a little better at night. But, yeah, I think the Cardinals still win the Central. 
All right. I I kind of I'm kind of interested to see what happens tonight and over the weekend when we play the Brewers, just to see, you know, what that kind of balance is. Um, who do you have in the West? Yeah. Okay. You have them surpassing the yeah, Dodgers. Dodgers. You have. I assume you have the Dodgers in the wild card. The number one wild card spot. Okay. I have the Padres winning as well. I got the Dodgers coming in second and walking up the five seed. And then I also have the Diamondbacks coming in third, sneaking into the sixth. Sneaking in, yes. I, I think they do. They have a... They have a true ace. They have a solid rotation. It it could use some work. If they want to make noise in the playoffs, they're going to have to add another starter. But their lineup is so young. Now, I might be a year early on the Diamondbacks. I'm, I truly might. But Solid rotation by Cardinal solid. standards? Or? It's not solid. That's not solid. Restarter. That's not solid. Restarter. That's not solid. Oh, he's got potential. He's got upside. <laughs> upside. He's got, there's upside. Um. Uh, I'm just I'm high on this lineup. I really like the lineup, um, and Tori Lavolo. I like him too. I, I like him as a manager. So, I like and also another thing, they always play the Dodgers and Padres like yes, six yeah, times a year. True. They're gonna have like less less of that. And they off the bat here, they're starting off with four against the Dodgers, two Padres, four against the Dodgers, and they're currently right. sitting at 500. So I'm like, okay, if they can if they can go 500 against those teams, they can. Uh, they can, yeah, they can make the playoff. All right, guys. Uh, welcome back. We had to take a, a quick hiatus from the, the the interview because we ran out of time. So this is from a separate location, separate time, but still the same interview. We still have Jacob here. Um, and I think we left off at the NL East, if I recall. What's your uh, What's your word on the well, NL I East? I because I'm a... Big Frank fan, but I, I got the Braves winning this one. I do think the Mets will probably pull out a wild card spot. Uh, don't really like the Phillies this much this year. I know that a lot of people do, but they've gotten off to a really rocky start, so I'm not big on the Phillies. But I'm big on the Braves. All, you always are every year. They just have one of those teams like the Astros. They're always in it. So what about something – like the Mets, they signed a lot of people in the offseason. They have the biggest payroll. Where's their place kind of in the NL East and in the National League as a whole? Well, I think if they didn't have the Braves in their division, then they would be the cleared number one favorite. But they just have an absolute juggernaut in their division. And I would still put them at a, as a top dog in the NL. They just happen to have the Braves in their division. So I still think they're... They would be a one, two, or a three seed if they weren't second fiddle to the Braves. They'll probably be the – I have them as the one seed – the four seed, the one seed of wild card spot. All right. I I also have the Braves winning the division. I got the Mets second. But I have the Phillies uh, missing the playoffs. Okay. All right. I was just curious to see if we agreed on that. Um, so give us your National League playoffs, and then who do you think is going to the World Series to play? Who did you have in the AL? Astros? I don't quite remember. 
You you definitely had the Astros. I remember you saying you're like, oh, I got the Astros for the third consecutive oh, yeah, yeah. year. Three feet in the AL. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. some some oh, shit I like think, that. I've been saying this oh, all off season. I think the Padres win the NL. I think this is finally their year. Uh, so I have them as my a wild card spot, but actually, I don't know. The Dodgers just aren't that aren't what they always have been, but they are one of those teams that always find a way. Like they could be so cold to start the year and then they'll just have like an August where they're like 25 and five. So I guess I'll go ahead. Braves is my one seed. I'll go two seed Dodgers, three seed. I'm not going with the frauds anymore. They're not winning the NL central. I'm changing three days after our last episode. Uh, I'll just throw the Cubs in as the NL Central champs. Whoa. Whoa. You don't want to hop on the Brewer bandwagon? I hate that team more than I hate the Cubs. Okay. I hate the Brewers. I will never pick them. Cubs are irrelevant. They've never been good besides one year, two years, I guess, theoretically. Yeah, but the the Brewers are good. Are they? I don't think they are. Their lineup is a lot of what ifs. What if Yelich can come back? What if Adamus can have as good of a season as he did last year? I mean, Brian Anderson, someone they added in the offseason, is batting like $4 million right now. But I think their lineup is a lot of what ifs. Uh, the Cubs have played all right so far. I mean, the Brewers have played better, obviously. They're one in the standings. But, uh, I'll go with the Cubs for the NL Central, even though in my down in the pit of my stomach, I think the Cardinals will win. But I'm just so mad at how they're playing right now that I don't want to feed into that awful franchise, awful ownership, awful manager. Well, we did just buy. <laughs> well, we did just buy tickets, so we kind of just did that. But also, I don't hate your strategy here i just did this with kansas and duke in the ncaa tournament put a little voodoo on the cubs have them win the division boom they lose yeah that is true that's simple my picks are almost never yeah, right true. despite being a uh, quote-unquote mlb expert as they call me on the show but maybe that'll maybe dewitt will watch this episode and uh he'll get a little a little PO'd, I don't know if I can cuss on this show, but uh, PO'd that one of his most diehard fans is rooting. Not, I'm not rooting against them, but I will just say if they miss the playoffs, I think it could be a little, I think it could be good in a way if they miss the playoffs. Maybe it'll have them wake up. So, yeah, instead of always being so content, like, we got there, we made the playoffs again, we're a playoff team every single year, but, oh, 2023, we didn't make it, and then they, you know, come back down to earth a little bit and really reassess some things. I think, you know, Jake's kind of right in that sense, like, like I just said, we always, it seems, make the playoffs, you know, the Cardinals are always good, even though we expect so much, you know, Um and so if they didn't make the playoffs, I think that would really be eye-opening. And uh, 
would really send some signals to management like, okay, we've got to make some changes because this is St. Louis. They will be on our asses, and they already are, but they will really be on them, and the seats will really start getting warm um, for management. So, I, yeah, I hope that – I mean, I'd rather them make the playoffs as a fan because it's just more fun, but, yeah. But at the same time, like, our our issue is that we can't win in the playoffs. Like even when we do get to the playoffs, I mean, what are we in the last ten playoff games? We're one and nine, I think it is. Starting pitching, elite starting pitching, is what has proved to win in the playoffs. So why didn't we add that in the off season? I get it that we had a lot of potential pitchers, but none of them are elite by any means. And so, like obviously, we're biased towards the Cardinals, but if you just watch these first. 10 or 11 so games you could very easily see how an outsider could not pick this team to win the central i think it's just looked like it's been bad baseball so far and i mean you can say that it's oh it's april it's april 11th like everyone needs to calm down but when it comes to september and we're in a one or two game race with the brewers and cubs this is the stuff that i think we should be remembering oh we if we wouldn't have got off to an awful start I mean, we're already four games out of the Central, and I get that it's April 11th, but there comes a point where the, when the going gets rough, it's got to turn around, and it just doesn't look like that. I mean, we have Miles Michaelis going tonight in Colorado. The last time he pitched in Colorado, he gave up 10 runs in two innings. Uh, so there's just not much going right for him. Yeah, I get what you're saying, Jake. It's like, when do you wake up? You know, how, when do you stop saying, oh, it's just April? Because that just carries into, oh, it's just May. You know, it's still early. You know, when do you wake up a little bit? So um, I definitely see what you're saying there. So, Yeah, one thing I've noticed with the team the last few days, like during this, this streak, other than Montgomery, like the pitching's been bad. We all know that. But the defense has been really bad, like just – not even physically, like we've had a lot of errors and dumb plays, but just mentally, like um, in the first game against Colorado last night, we had a runner like Charlie Blackman. It was first and third and the runner from first just took off intentionally got in the rundown so that the run could score. And we just let them have the run. Like that's not something that Cardinals baseball does. You know, they play elite defense. Um, and I mean, one thing I, I never really was a huge fan of Schilt, but he, he, focused on that defense and he got that good like th this is that was kind of the last straw for me like okay maybe this team really is bad when I saw the defense it reminds struggles. me Luke you might be the only I don't know if Cam really remembers this in depthly but it reminds me of that stretch right before Matheny got fired and I'm not saying there's any means that I think Marmol is on the hot seat or anything I don't think he is but it just reminds me of how we played right before Matheny got canned it was just lackadaisical defense got horrible and the offense and the pitching was just mid and it got him fired and the part that's frustrating right now I think is that this team is a lot better than that team was I mean this lineup is the only reason that I have hope that we will win the central I mean this lineup is a top five lineup in baseball but the pitching is just so bad and it's as a whole has been so bad to start the year that it's it's scary, I would say.
I guess the thing is, like, where does the blame go? Does it go on the ownership? Does it go on the front office? Does it go on Ali? Because he's having some locker room problems right now. Does it go on the players? Where does the blame go, or does it go over the course of all of them a little bit? Well, I would say that I think it's has to be on front office by now. I mean, I think we talked about this in the last episode. Not last episode, but the first part of the episode is that the Cardinals are on their third manager in the span of the last six years. And it's kind of been the same outcome since. So it's not the manager. Uh, a lot of player turnover and stuff switching around, so I don't think it's as much the players. The one guy that's been there through all of it, is, or the two guys, is DeWitt and Mosellock. So obviously, even though he should, DeWitt's probably not going to sell the team. But maybe it's time for Mosellock to go. But also at the same time, if the ownership's not letting Mosellock spend that much money, then it's probably not Mosellock's fault if he's only given a budget of increasing the payroll by 0.17% or whatever it was they did this offseason. Yeah, uh, definitely. Switching back to kind of the MLB preview right now, I have a question here about Jordan Walker. Um, he's been phenomenal. Obviously, we're 10 games into the season. He's got a hit in every single game. What does his presence and just him being there bring to the team? And how well do you see his rookie year going? Well, I think the presence that he brings is kind of – I don't even know how to explain it because we haven't seen something like it in forever. I mean, a lot of people on Twitter are saying they haven't seen something like this since Pujols has been called up. But, I mean, I don't want to go that far, but – I think it brings a good fountain of youth, but I also think that it kind of, it should light a little fire over those veteran guys. Like you have a guy that's 20, 21 or not even 21 yet. And he came off to looks 29 old and he's huge, but here's a guy who just, he's played 10 games in the MLB and he's taken the Cardinals by storm. He's getting on base. He's, hitting for average he can hit for power as well he's i mean arguably a top three prospect in baseball some ridiculously sick chains around his neck point that out very true despite so far this year luke he does have a negative five f war or a negative defensive f war or negative four point four point five i don't mean to say five that was way way over <laughs> negative five through 10 games. That would be something to worry about. That would be way, yeah, I think it's like, that would be really bad or something through, through 10 so games. Maybe <laughs> a little room to grow on defense, but I think all offense is a lot better. but he's also playing a new position. Sure. Right field is new for him. And then if his, I, if his defense always gets too bad, then just let him hit, put him at DH. Then you don't have to worry about him getting hurt in the field ever. That's true. That's true. Um, and then one other question about the Cardinals. It kind of goes along the same lines, but who is your pick for the Cardinals breakout player of the year this year? I'm going to go with Alec Burleson. He's had a good start to the year so far. Uh, hit a triple last night, despite being a little, little bit of a chubby guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just a little. A little fat. But... Uh, he he can just hit, kind of just like Jordan Walker. Not to the extent of Jordan Walker, but 
in that same aspect that he's one of those guys that just finds a way to get on base. And I think that with the Cardinals outfield right now, there's a couple question marks. Can Carlson be there every day? Can O'Neill's probably on a one-way ticket somewhere after what happened. But DH, they, I mean, they picked Burleson over Yepes. So, I mean, obviously they think a lot about him, but I just can't wait to see what he does. I feel like he's a top 100 prospect and not many people talk about him because the Cardinals have Wynn and Walker, and especially with Walker on the big club. So I'm really excited to see what Alec Burleson can do. Yeah, and we mentioned he's kind of fat. Um, I think I saw something. They have him listed as 212 pounds. There is no way. He looks way fatter than that. I I don't, you know, that, that's just fake. That's all I got to say. Um, he looks at least like 230. That's He just looks, he's got a little bit extra, you know, cushion in multiple spots. Um, as he's going around the bases and I like it. I think you need a little bit of fat in baseball to be good. Um, he kind of, he kind of looks so. like a fullback in ways. Yeah, but he's also white and tall and fullbacks aren't tall. So he, yeah. he's just fat pack Ricard. He kind of just looks he's fat, fat white tall. baseball player. Listen at six, two, two, 12, Jake. Two twelve, so I don't believe that for a second. Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, that I don't. That stat seems fake, but um, I list him at two thirty-five. I really thought you were getting ready to say that he was listed really at like two forty or something crazy, but then it was like ridiculously low. I thought it was going to be the other way around. I like that pick as a as a breakout. The club seems to be high who's, on Burleson, who's yours, Luke? um, to say the least. They put him as the fourth outfielder. Mine, uh, I'm going to go in a similar direction as you. I, I want to pick Gorman because I'm really high on Gorman this year. I think. Do you remember the hype last year, like around May, when mm-hmm. everyone was like, "Call up Gorman, call up Gorman," and then we finally did, and he was a little underwhelming. I think he's still there. I mean, he just. It's a rookie season. How can you really judge it? I think he's going to have a huge breakout year. But I'm also high on Dylan Carlson because he also had a rough year last year. But he it came out that he was like playing through an injury through most of the year. So I'm excited to see can he, you know, bounce back to his 2021 self where he was top three in rookie of the year voting. And I'm also I'm backing him because I think he's been screwed he's been kind of given the shaft a little bit by the cardinals and the organization and the fans a little bit um obviously he was dogged for you know the juan soto trade because he was supposed to be the main package that's not his i heard fault. that wasn't true that you know if anything that's on the front office um i don't i don't know what's true but i know that there was a report saying that that did happen and a lot of people are mad at carlson for something that, you know, that's not his fault. He was also injured. And, you know, this year being listed as fifth on the depth chart behind Walker and Burleson, Walker had no MLB experience and Burleson had hardly any. And to be listed behind those two guys, I mean, listen behind Newt Bar too, who had an amazing second half last year, but he doesn't have very much MLB experience either. So I think he kind of got screwed a little bit there, but I'm excited. And I think he's our best defensive center fielder. So that's going to help him get reps. Um, in the game, but yeah, I'm high on both those guys, Gorman and, 
and Carlson. You got a guy, Cam? I just no, I, I it's not it's not like a flashy pick. I just think it's Jordan Walker. I think he's just going to continue his success. So hopefully, that's all, all right, I got. I like it. And then one last question for me, Jake. Um, it is the Dr Pepper question. So shout out Dr Pepper for sponsoring us. Um, oh, I wish that I would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's about as true as uh, Burleson Wayne two twelve. So, okay, we can all hope. We can all hope. The new CBA went into effect this year. The new baseball rules into effect. The bigger bases. I know Cam loves the bigger bases. Um, I think he he gets a little uh, horned up when we talk about the new big bases, but. See, well, yeah, he definitely does. Um, I'm not gonna deny but that. But the the pitch clock, <laughs> the pitch clock, and the new shift went into effect this year. How is it playing into you know the the game, and how do you think it's going to turn out for for the game in the future? And how do you like it? I I love the pitch clock and the bigger bases so far. I think I mean they've already shown the amount of steals that have gone up like the first weekend this year compared to last year. So I love that. It just makes for more action on the field and the pitch clock. I think you can really tell a difference. Not for me as much when I'm like watching, but the other day when I was at work and the game started at like seven or six forty-five or something like that. And by the time I ended my shift at nine o'clock, the game was already over and we never had something like that in years past, but I hate the shift rule only because it's not strict enough. It needs to be more because you can still shift theoretically. Like you could still move your shortstop all the way to second base and then you can just move your third baseman over. It's basically the same thing. Or they'll like bring in their right fielder to put him behind the second baseman or whatever, like right in that gap where they used to put the second baseman. So I think that, I mean, the team's already just found a way around that one, so I would kind of like that one to be a little different just so we can get more action. But, I mean, I guess it's a step in the right direction. And I know Cam's a real anti-shifter, so I had to throw that in there. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah uh, I I don't like the outfielder thing, like where they're bringing two outfielders over to the right field side kind of just like recreating the shift of ways, but I don't mind a little bit of an infield shift because that's just strategy. Like if you move your shortstop over to second base, I mean, that's just playing strategy and it's not like a, it's not the, the, the degree that it was at, you know, in years past where you have four infielders on, you know, one side of the field pretty much. Um, it's not at that level. So that's why I, I kind of think it's a nice balance where you can still have your strategy but it's also not like overblown where it's completely killing the, well, I mean, of the game. Essentially, you could just move your shortstop over to second base, move your third baseman over, and then just move your right fielder in, and it's the same thing. It wouldn't be a change at all. It would just be different players playing that position. I guess it would make more room in the outfield, but these are you're usually shifting on guys that pull ground balls. You're really not shifting for the fly balls. So, I mean, I really think it's not that much different, really. 
I don't know what you got. You, Luke obviously said what he said, but Cam, big anti-shift guy. I, I just wish. I'm kind of against Luke here, the old head in this situation. I, I just want it gone. Um, you know, I, I want it to look uh, like we sports when you're playing baseball, where they're just right in their positions and they can't, they can't move. I'd, I'd be fine with uh, imaginary circles on the TV that show us, like, if they leave that area before the batter steps into the box, that's a penalty. I don't know what that would assess, but I, that's what I'm for. So um, I agree. I'm glad that they at least started. What is the current penalty right now? I don't know. I haven't seen it called. That's another thing. We were talking about the pitch clock here that's a moment true. ago, and um, multiple times I'll be watching the game, and it, they will clearly – go past the pitch clock and they don't call it yet. So I don't know like what, like what, what is it? When do they start calling it consistently is like when a pitcher does it like two or three times in a row, or is it like, um, you know, cause what I saw was like last night and uh, the other night in the Brewers game is they would like do it once. And then a few pitches later, maybe, um, maybe later in the at bat, they would do it again, but nothing would get called. So I don't know when or how often that is going to be called. Obviously, they've called it. Um, I've seen it in other games in key moments, and they, it was on display a little bit in the um, in spring ball. So um, it's obviously there, but they just it's not very consistent around the league with the, new, the umpires assessing the new rules and calling out the new rules. So um, I'm just waiting to kind of see that be more enacted. Not that I want to see like a bunch of uh, penalties and strikes and balls, you know, given to players or whatever, but um, I just want to see players following the rules so that um, the games go a little bit quicker and it's a little bit smoother and uh, guys get used to the new rules and then we won't even think about it really anymore. So that's what I'd like to see. I mean, I, I, I'm fine with a little bit of leniency because when the automatic ball or strike is called, it does kind of mess with the flow of the game a little bit. And even if they're not calling it, even if they're giving them a few seconds, the games are still going faster. So I'm fine with a little bit of leniency. Um, you know, like if they're in the motion of already going, just letting it play out. Um, but it does need to be called, you know, whenever there's a major violation, obviously. But I, I disagree with you on that, that I, I think it's going fine right now. The games are shorter by about 20, 25 minutes. They're smoother. They're definitely smoother to watch. And, uh, yeah, I the the calls do kind of put a weird feel to the game if there's a bunch of them. I just say that because, um, you know, like a couple times I counted in my head, it was like three seconds after the clock expired on TV and he did the pitcher. I don't know who it was like two nights ago when we were playing the Brewers. So whoever that was um, pitching and he did it multiple times, you know, within the same inning. And it's like, OK, but if he if nobody's calling it when he does it multiple times in the same inning, they're going to just think that they can, you know, get away with it over and over and over again. And then it's just kind of it's not going to revert all the way back, obviously. But then it's almost like, well, why the clock is it? why is the clock even there if they're getting an extra four or five seconds? You know, why don't, why wouldn't they just increase the clock then? Um, that's, a, that's why I just think it just needs to be enforced a little bit. That way uh, players will 
start obeying by it right now so that it doesn't just fall back to where it was. I understand not uh, like wanting the leniency though and not giving random strikes because that does make it weird. It does, although that kind of makes it a little sicko and a little bit exciting when random strikes are given um, and because players are obviously going to get pissed off about that. So adds a little animosity to the, to the game, but um, I just like to see it enforced. Well, that's it. I do want to add and something I'm interesting, interested to see when we go to the game on Friday do you think that the TV one might just not always be lined up with the one that's at the actual ballpark? Do you think that's a possibility? I think that is a possibility, but I don't think three-second difference. I don't think that's a possibility. That's quite the difference. Um, um, even, you know, because obviously – when we're watching on spectrum or whatever, I'm sure, you know, it's happening five, six, seven seconds ahead of time in real life, you know, but the cameras that, that it doesn't change though, you know, they're recording it from at the game. So we're just seeing it like what's going on at the game. So maybe there is like a second difference between the cameras that are recording at the game and the actual clock with the umpires, but on TV, it's it's just the same as the cameras. So I, there could be like a second difference, but not three or four, I wouldn't think. So that is a good point, though. All right, that's all my questions. Cam, do, do you got any more? I can't remember if I asked this one. So, I, Jake, did I ask you who your sneaky team of the year did. was? I don't think you did. But I think I... Okay, and so I, I just touched on it a little bit. I think I touched on it. Okay, I, I, that's that's all I had left was who your sneaky team of twenty twenty three was that might just surprise some people. The Angels. So I did talk about Mine's that last Angels. episode that I had them getting the second wild card spot in the AL, but I'm picking the Angels as my sleeper but. team. All right. That pretty much wraps it up then. So um, thanks to Jake, Jake for coming back for on. Yeah. yeah, you can fire away if you want. Got in really come prepared. Luke, Luke, I guess I already do know who your sleeper team is, and I'm kind of tired of hearing about it, so I'm not going to ask. Yep. Diamondbacks in first place right now currently. I don't really have any questions. All right. That's fine with us. Um, thanks, Jake, for coming back on. I'm sure we'll have you back on, uh, whether that's midway point or uh, playoffs or what. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. And we'll send you to the end of the show. I need it. I might be able to find it. All right, guys. Uh Thank you to Jake and Michael Baldwin for coming on. Let's uh, wrap up the show here. Um, just a little bit, you know, to close out the show. Some loose ends, some talking points, and then we'll do tough scene of the week. Um, Cam, you got anything? What's going on right now? Oh, man. Uh, tough scene of the week. First one here off the board is simply that Lori Markinen, uh stud for the jazz this year literally averaging i think the second most points per game or maybe it's first now because i think he's up to 27 points per game right now second or first most... gotta be up. 
No, 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 no. For the Jazz, sorry. Oh. This is just Jazz history. Um, most points per game ever by a Jazz player. Um, and he's turning 30 in the offseason, I believe. And as it turns out, in Finland, you have to serve your country by the time you turn 30 years of age. So that means I, I, I believe he's going to just miss all of next basketball season because he'll be serving his country in Finland. Um, so that's a tough scene for not only the Jazz, but for marketing as well because uh, he, you know, never know. Friendly fire, boom, dead. And then he would just be gone. Yeah, that would be crazy. That would that be. actually, it's a pat. That is wild. So um, yeah, but except like he has to do it. Yeah, that's he has the, no choice. the crazy part about it. Yeah. So um, I guess he could, he could like say I'm not doing it, but then he wouldn't be able to get like get citizenship in Finland yeah. ever again. He'd just have he to be a U.S. citizen full time. Yeah, he probably wouldn't be able to go back to Finland. Um, Kind of reminds me, uh, you know, even in the States, you know, we have kids that go to the Naval Academy, Air Force Academy, Army Academy. Um, it recently, both President Biden and I think Trump did it once, maybe. I know Obama did it a couple of times as well, but Biden's been doing it a few times lately. Um, pardoning the players that are entering like the draft and stuff and that are in the NFL so they don't have to do their service right away. Um, and I think someone, a player for the Bucks, actually even got their service completely. They don't have to go at all. So uh, for former military uh, academy uh, players in the NFL. So that, that just made me think about that. Like, you know, we have guys that literally sign up to join the military after they graduate, and they're actually getting off. Meanwhile, Lori Markkinen, no choice. He's got to go serve his country since he just turned 30, and he hasn't done it yet. So do they have like a – pardoning thing in finland though like we're the finland president even though i i'm pretty sure that I she feel just like got they would have done it out, by but... now i feel like they would have done it by now now finland is a country that doesn't That's really true. put one person above the other um you know like we do in the states so that's probably why he's hasn't been pardoned of anything like that they're just like well you're just like the rest of us so um you got to serve your time as well so tough scene for war marketing and tough scene for the jazz Finland president. Oh, never, they've had the same president for like 10 years. Prime minister, that's who I'm thinking of. She just got kicked out. Outvoted oh, yeah. or something. Democracy-wise, yeah. anyway. So it's all it's all fine. Maybe maybe one of those two people could pardon him. I I don't know. That is that is a crazy situation. Um my tough scene is literally just myself, my digestive system. <laughs> It has just been messing with me. Uh, a lot of Tums, I, I, I might have to get into the Pepto-Bismol very soon. Um, it's just been a, a tough scene for me. But my diet over the last year has gotten really, really bad because in my family, I, I've been very lucky to have this uh, gene and hereditariness be passed down to me. But like my dad, my grandpa, my grandpa's dad, all of like just super fast metabolism appetite of a horse but don't gain any weight which a lot of people are very probably would be very jealous of that which i i'm very grateful for being able to you know pretty much eat however much and whatever i want and not being able to gain a super is that the only you know, horse like trait that you have 
Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> that, that that is about the only horse-like trait I have. But uh, it, <laughs> I've just gotten careless with it, and my diet is super, super bad. Like a lot of processed food, a lot of junk food, and I think it's just catching up to me. So, still, I am. I I'm not gaining a lot of weight, but. I, it is time, I think, that I need to reevaluate my diet and at least maybe add just like a serving of spinach throughout the week, um, <laughs> you know, instead of just yeah. all processed foods. So, yeah, I had a turnaround like that uh, not that long ago as well. Um, first off, it just kind of started. I just started going back to the gym first and then uh, probably over the past two and a half to three weeks, I've just tried eating better. Um, because I was kind of falling into the, the same boat and, uh, just some personal health goals, you know, to try and get back on track a little bit. Uh, one thing though is that I've realized, and I realized this throughout all my football playing days, um, when you exercise a lot, like you're just so hungry. Uh, so my serving sizes at dinner have shot through the roof because I've just, I've just been doing more. So, uh. You know, when you exercise, plus you're going to school, plus you're working, you just get hungry. So, um, yeah, oh, yeah there's nothing tough. wrong with that. It's just, it is tough to kind of yeah, cut I, that stuff out, though, because it's so freaking good. I miss I Mac D's. I miss a Mickey D McChicken. I haven't had one in like probably like over, you know, well over a month. I just miss a, a nice, a nice French fry basket, Luke. Trust me, I'm not cutting that out. I'm just maybe <laughs> adding some some stuff in, yeah. some good stuff. Because you know how often I have a salad? Almost never. I don't eat um, salad. Like the but... only vegetables, the only vegetables I get throughout the week is like when my mom makes dinner, and like occasionally, like there'll be like green beans on the side, and that's like <laughs> that's like the only vegetable I get throughout the week. So maybe I I just need to start adding more of that. Maybe some more fruits. You know, just a healthy diet. Or a healthier diet, because I'm not a big health guy by any means. <laughs> I, I never happen, you know. As long me as either. it it fills me up and tastes good, that's all that that's all that I care about. But whenever it starts messing with me and making me sick, like to the point where I'm at school and throwing up in the bathroom, that, that that's a that's a very uh, it, something needs to change. So yeah, I'm no health nut either by any means, but so, I have. Really taking advantage of uh, getting back on track lately. I've become a big, uh, big apple cum guy. Uh, applesauce every day. I've been eating so much of it, um, and holy shit, is so delicious. I love apple cum. So um, you know, and then mix. I've been eating a ton, a of, card. ton of apples, uh, bananas. Found my way into some oranges lately. So those are the key ones I've been been eating probably the most of so um yeah um do you have any other tough scenes i had another one uh no i don't that's it that's all i got because okay. it's, it's pretty much a bit just been taking my focus the whole week <laughs> <laughs> yeah um my next tough scene was the fact that a stat came out uh actually two tough scene stats um 
First off, STL back on top. We have been once again ranked the deadliest city in the United States of Missouri, or in the United States of America. So we're back on top. Let's I think go. we were at two or three behind uh, New Orleans or Memphis or something like that. But we're back. So or maybe it was Baltimore. I can't remember. So the Lou is back no, on Baltimore, top. Baltimore is like con- they're consistent top three, but they never get one. Yeah, they're just. They're like consistent top three in murder and just like number one in heroin, but like also have really good crab cakes. So shout out to the 49ers. They always, always go to the NFC championship. Can't win it though. They're always in the, they're always in the mix. Um, So yeah. And then uh, my next one is the fact that UConn has won the same amount of playoff games in NRG stadium as the Texans have since they've been in Houston four and four, which is, I was actually kind of surprised that the, the Texans have won four playoff games at home. Um, so, but yeah, uh, that was not, it was, it was four playoff games total. It was not at NRG. Oh my State. gosh. Yeah, you're right. Total franchise playoff wins. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Playoff wins at Texan stadium by UConn four. So, I know they have at least one in there. They beat Connor Cook at home a few years ago. If you remember that, that was that was wild. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that was um, all my tough scenes trying to jot yeah. my memory here. Um, Just a, uh, another fun stat for you is that the Texans, they have four franchise playoff wins. They've been around since 2002. Since 1995, the uh, Dallas Cowboys have the same amount of playoff wins. So, four, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not good. They Actually, won. they might have gotten their fifth this year, but I'm pretty sure okay. it was their fourth. I could be. Don't don't quote me on that, but it's it's four or five. It's it's terrible. Okay. Um, um yeah. my last my One last thing. Bit contribution to the show is that. Uh, Cardinals and the Panthers are getting new jerseys. So our prayers have finally been answered. Thank God. We talk about this every year, it seems yeah. like. And they're finally. It's like the, it, the Bermuda Triangle of teams that need new jerseys, the Cardinals, the Panthers, and the Broncos. We've been talking about it for years. Yeah. And, you know, two of them finally are. So I think the Broncos are going to be the lone team. Um, yeah, they're – they're 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 in rough shape at the moment, so yeah. they're hoping that Sean can maybe fix that franchise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then Blaze Debate, my hat guy, and my hat guy. I'm, I my side of this story is that, or my take on this side is that you are a hat guy. I believe you are a hat guy. Um, have I seen bigger hat guys? Yes, but I I still think you're a hat guy. Some people just have it. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I was thinking to myself, am I a hat guy last night? Am I not? A lot of people said, yeah, a lot of people agreed with you, Cam. There were a lot of people that agreed with you. So I think there was maybe one or two people that didn't, but everyone else agreed with you. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in to this show. Um, hopefully you enjoyed the MLB preview and – the new Cardinals Corner segment, and uh, make sure to leave a comment on the video um, on your thoughts about it. And, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Have a happy Easter, everyone, if you celebrate that. Have a happy Easter.